Café Rollist is your caffeinated tabletop RPG break. It started as our exclusive Patreon show, but following a survey with our supporters, I am happy now to share its most recent episode here with you. If you enjoy this show, please consider checking out our archive of a hundred or so additional episodes, which are still exclusive on Patreon. Welcome for another Café Rollist, and today I am joined by a, an old friend of the show, supporter of the show, and uh, more than a, than a friend, but the representative of, of an organization. Uh, welcome, Kat, and could you introduce yourself, please? Hi, I'm Kat. I'm uh, director of Roleplay Haven. Um, I'm also a very keen role player anyway, and I think I actually I have. I've appeared on a on a podcast before with um, with Jeremy uh, doing nominee. Oh yeah, that's true. I, I was even yeah in my mind it, it was slightly fresher the the UK Games Expo uh, interviews I, I did once or, or, or twice. Uh, yeah, but the Nomine game that's that's from a, a while ago. I, I'd like to make a sequel to that, but uh, yeah, it was a uh, motley crew of people. <laughs> so having people it back was. together. Yeah, it, it, I really enjoyed it because I'd never actually previously heard of the game. Um, I have actually got a copy of the, the English translation. Um, I've, I've been sort of toying with maybe running it myself, but I must admit, while I love the world and I love the way you can design the characters, I have to say the dice system does <laughs> slightly... and There's a bit too much calculation involved in there for me. Yeah, because that must be... First of all, we mentioned that in the episode, but the the US adaptation is is kind of infamous in France uh, because it toned down a lot of things. Which, well, you could argue about whether or not they they are appropriate today, <laughs> because some you know it was highly disrespectful or playing with, depending where you on which side of the fence you are, but. Uh, yeah, it yeah. was very, I guess the word is irreverent towards religion <laughs> in general. So, yeah. so that was watered down, uh, a lot when it was adapted to the US and, and pretty much that's 99% of the game. So if you water that down, there's not much left. And, uh, and in yeah. France, the Fr in France, the game has gone through multiple editions and of course changes in their game system. So yeah, if it's the very first one, that must be a, that must be rough. Yeah, yeah. It, it, there, um, I do agree with you. The translation of it is quite watered down, um, and you know, I, I kind of relied on. There's a few. There's still some very old blog posts from people who were playing it, who are playing it in France and other places, and finding English versions of the blogs where they kind of make more suggestions about what you should be bringing in. I do think nominee for the English-speaking audience does need a revamp, particularly now we've got Colt and a lot of other different darker games out there now. I think the time is about right. And people, while we do have, still have some problematic people in the gaming world, I think we do have far more mature players now who can play with themes that are a little bit darker or irrelevant when it comes to religion and do it in a sensible and, you know, a fun story way. Yeah, I'd be curious to see that. Uh, actually, yesterday, Chaosium just announced that they're going to uh, publish and distribute a adaptation of a French game it's called Worm, uh, yeah. which you're, it's, it's set in the, uh, uh, what's the word, uh, 
prehistoric times. So you're, uh, I guess you got a stone plus one and you can bash the head <laughs> of a saber tooth. <laughs> Oddly enough, we um, I have actually started playing in a game of Worm, um, where friends brought uh, massively likes buying PDFs of, of game systems, and he has, and he's trying now to work his way through all of the games he's brought. He's actually got a spreadsheet of where he's played it and the rankings. Wow! Um, so we are doing that. We are playing Worm. Um, there's some interesting points where we have to look up words where someone's translated it from French, and they've just gone for the first word. <laughs> in the translation because it's a tricky word and one of them we're looking at it and it was like a plasma and we're looking at it, but this is a healing thing they must mean poultice or something similar so we've, we've, we've ignored that but you don't quite get your rock you do get uh you get to make your own sort of flint spears and stuff as well so it's quite dangerous because um i i must admit i've never played quite in a system where if you do manage like we, we were we were hunting uh deer where if you do a successful hit, you've got to roll to see if your weapon breaks. Wow. Oh, yeah, so <laughs> yeah. that's serious then. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, we've we've now, our uh, small tribe thinks that there's possibility another tribe have cursed us with an evil spirit that might be um, hiding, unfortunately, in a mountain line. <laughs> so uh, our brave little troop of, of young men who want to prove themselves are going up against a mountain lion next session where we've got to track it down so that's going to be interesting I, I was quite glad to see Chaosium are going to release it because it, it's quite a nice system I'm not sure how long a campaign can last with it but I do love the uh, the narrative that the game provides for you yeah it's, yeah. it's I mean I think you I, I, I'm always keen to play is more historical stuff and uh, I could imagine you could so people were suggesting, I was reading French reviews, uh, often people play k- kind of Call of Cthulhu stories almost, but you know, you don't necessarily have to make it, um, obvious that there's something, uh, fantastic or supernatural happen because yeah. from the point of view of prehistorical people, the explanation might always be mystical, although there, it, there's a natural cause, it can be a, uh, some yeah. gas or something, just, just a natural phenomenon they, they're not aware yeah. of. So you could go on, on a quest against uh, a disease or something like that and think there's a, there's a magical thing behind it while you, what you are doing is picking up the remedies or things like that. Or even just moving your group, thinking that where you are, your cave's been cursed, moving to somewhere that suddenly now has fresh water running. So you're not, um, drinking dirty water could suddenly cure you and it's like the curse has been released you know has, has left um and i quite like the way that steve has done that because the chances are logically thinking that the mountain lion is just picking us off because we're a small group we go out hunting on our own quite often so we're easy to pick off and maybe it's injured so that's why it's going after us rather than say a big deer or something but we don't know that, you know, for, for us, we've been cursed. You know, we found these strange marker stones. We, we just assume that we are, you know, we're in trouble. So, you know, and that's what I quite like. Cause it's that called a Cthulhu thing. As you said, you know, you don't have to have that, you know, Cthulhu appear or a dark one or a deep one rather, because it's silly things like, um, I, I remember once playing in a game which was set in World War One. Our characters, after a bomb blast, we were feeling sickly, lethargic, couldn't keep food down, blisters, sores. 
and we straight away were thinking this supernatural creature. We're having to make sand uh, saving throws against sand loss, etc. And right at the end of it, because we did ask, you know, what was that? And it's radiation. Well, our characters never would have heard of radiation back then. So, you know, being suffering from radiation sickness, we actually thought we were up against a really major uh, Cthulhu mythos creature. And it just, it's something as simple as radiation. Yeah, I think it's where science explains it, the mythology gets lost. That's, that's, uh, even when I play Call of Duty, that I prefer the slow burn stories. Uh, like that. Uh, when I, I only played once Masks of Nyarlathotep and, uh, we didn't go further than, uh, than London. But I was a bit disappointed at one point of the campaign, uh, spoiler alert, uh, for, for anyone. Uh, and I don't know if it's part of the, the actual campaign, but we ran into a, a painting which was, which had properties which, which were ongoing and I thought it was a bit of a pity because you could take the painting and do stuff with it because as player that's that's what you do uh, I mean a bit like not quite but like the Ark of the Covenants in uh, Raiders of the Lost Lost Ark uh, you could hold it, hold it somewhere open it it does its stuff and then you close it but it's 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 still supernatural but it's uh, a phenomenon which you can reproduce again and again, and it, it was more limited than the Raiders of the Lost Ark things, of course. But since it becomes something you can replicate again and again, it, it's not it, it's not supernatural anymore. It's not weird anymore. It's just yeah. something unexplained. It's you you just found a portal of some kind, and I too yeah. so, so early in the campaign, it was a bit of a pity, or even. Yeah, even stuff we did in New York in the first arc, uh, I always told, it, I, I, sometimes I don't know where to play the character, because at what point does the character, I always, I often start like, yeah, I don't believe in those, uh, non-scientific stuff, but then you witness things with your character which are so blatantly anormal, that as a, yeah. as a role player, I'm like, yeah, actually I would have preferred that go there much slower so I can play the madness because if you, you see a crazy yeah. creature and you just snap immediately, it's like, okay, right, I saw something weird. Where, where, where am I going with that? Yeah, I, I, I mean, that's why I think um, campaigns, I think certain games like Call of Cthulhu do come across better in a campaign, particularly if you're with a group that you you can that you trust and you can work together. Because I do like, as you say, that slow burn of madness slowly creeping in. Because you can, you know, start off as somebody who's, I don't know, investigating a, a spooky house because you've got, I don't know, a podcast trying to de- debunk old ghosts in old homes. But slowly during the course of like a, a week's investigation at a place, you're going to come across something that is going to slowly just drip into your mind. You know, and being able to play that drip of madness more slowly, you know, getting more twitchy every time you hear a door slam, even if it's just your mate slamming the car door, because you've heard it so often and you know there's nowhere that door could have slammed. You know, it's you just build more for the character. You can uh, get a greater empathy for them. And also the story of the breakdown of mental states in Call of Cthulhu is just brilliant over a campaign. As much as you can say it's brilliant, because obviously you still... (laughs) You know, a mental health thing, but it, to be able to do a theatrical version, which the which Call of Cthulhu is, is just brilliant roleplay. 
Yeah, and, and I think if you do it slow, it also allows you to to keep the door open because if it's a yeah. bit slow, you can always wonder. Okay, my character saw that, but was there something? Or that, that's my preferred one shot of Call of Duty is that I can leave them thinking we don't know if this happened or if it was a something in the head or, or of the characters like yeah. maybe one of my favorite sort of call of cthulhu esque stories uh right now uh, right now the uh, i was mentioning to you uh, i'm do taking the notes for a campaign on world anvil at the moment so this is a french campaign which was written in the 90s for call of cthulhu delta green so it was contemporary setting and they re-released it for their own system called uh, Chroniques Oubliées. I don't think there's an English version. It was initially a medieval fantasy system and they, they made a contemporary version and they re-released the campaign. And you are FBI agents and where we are, we are at the third session, very short sessions played online. We are investigating, we are shadowing a uh, senator who might be embroiled with things in 2016 in things of corruption. Uh, uh, mismanagement of campaign money and this sort of things. And so I expected to go slow burn, but the game master, the way the, the, the visuals and the music he picked for the mood, uh, is influenced. It's very clearly True Detective, like the mm. first season. And for me, True Detective is one of my favorite sort of Call of Cthulhu things. There's nothing except, yeah, it's not even a spoiler, but there's stuff towards the end which happened, but they clearly b could be just hallucinations by the yeah. character. If you take the whole story, there's, there's nothing but the slow, uh, burn of sanity points by the character yeah. because of what they're, they're confronted with. Yeah. And also the, the nice thing about the slow burn is that some of the role play you're doing is not just what you're seeing and, um, hearing or experiencing. It's, it's the own, it's the sort of mental back, um, process in your own mind where you start to double question yourself. And when you as a character start to double question, oh, he, I oh, would just laugh that up. And then you go, and then you just do that pause where the kind of goes, well, on the other hand, perhaps we should look into this, uh, maybe tomorrow in sunlight. And that sort of, it, that coupled with the sand loss, more fun and believable as well. Um, funny enough, with, with sand loss and, um, madness, the only thing I really, I find with Call of Cthulhu is how the, uh, the madnesses manifest what you get if you do get a really bad role. Um, I quite like the way that Shadows of Estrian, when you create your character, you do have a, you, you pick the, the type of lines that if you were to go mad, how that would work with your character. It would be, um, I don't know, great depression, um, whether it would be some kind of mania. I like the way they do that, and I, I do wonder whether to do a, a, a slight – I do dislike doing house rules, I must admit, but I do wonder if doing Call of Cthulhu, but actually when you design your character, taking that system from Shadows Estrin and, and getting that to work together with Call of Cthulhu could work quite nicely with the sound. Yeah, rather than have something random, have something which brings you deeper in the psyche of your character. Yeah. Um, funny thing, I just got <laughs> delivery from Amazon. <laughs> I'm gonna <laughs> pick it up, it's in front of the door. Be right back. No worries. 
it's like being stuck at a work interview where you know the interviewer goes oops I need to go and sort something off screen oh live from London <laughs> we don't cheat huh? it's, it's a uh, role playing but <laughs> Uh, it's it's actually something for hopefully will improve my streaming. Uh, I got an issue with the I got a better headset which I got for Christmas, but the microphone is not working. So uh, I bought a USB thingy which I hope will improve things. And oh, awesome! So yeah, we'll see. Whew, sorry, I've been running. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so uh, we got a question from the chat room. Uh, Cat, what's your favorite genre of RPG? I, I must say, I'm impressed by the number of French tabletop role-playing games you seem to have played and be aware of. That's really, really cool. So, Shadows of Esteran, Indomine Satanis, and, and Worm. It's like, wow, that's cool. I should get in touch with your, your game master because I'd like to showcase more French tabletop role-playing games, but uh, I need more game masters <laughs> who can who are interested to do it in English. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, favorite genre of role playing games. Um, if we're not talking systems, um, because I, then I would say it's good old fashioned, um, probably noir, horror noir, preferably. So I would, um, I'd encompass vampire in that as well. Call of Cthulhu, um, uh, Shadow Zestrian, Simbarum. All those type of games where you can play that horror, um, but with some investigation in there. So I'd say more sort of like horror noir, if that's even a category, which I suspect I've just made my own up. But uh, when I when I use sometimes it's contemporary occult, because that, yeah, that that work, yeah. Because I think that's what. Nephilim was called, and Nephilim is one of my favorite games. So I, I like those, and uh, I must say, I'm, uh, yeah, the the table I'm playing at the moment it's it's a bit challenging because it's with my very first proper game master and and team of players from when I was younger in Belgium. They because of COVID nineteen, they said, uh, oh, we're gonna play our usual games, but online, and we're gonna start a new campaign. And they open it up to myself and other people who are not in their area. So I haven't played with them in uh, maybe a dozen years, even more. So, yeah. so on one hand, uh, it's a bit challenging because they, uh, it's going to come across as very judgmental, but they still play like we played in the late nineties. Uh, uh, the French speaking, they're not very interested in, the different blogs and podcasts with advice for game masters. So there's a lot of stuff in terms of uh, safety tool, narration sharing, which are, mm. Mm, I find it, um, and lacking might not be the right word, but uh, it's a bit of a pity, I find, because, uh, yeah. yeah, it's it's not, there are things which could definitely improve the game, I think. But with that said, uh, the game master is way, way more experimental uh, he's got way, way more experience game mastering and uh, weekly practice than I ever have. So he's still a better game master than me yeah. in some aspects. But uh, it's nice to play something contemporary because you can go very deep in the character. I find you can relate a lot to them. I'm not saying it's impossible with medieval fantasy or older things, but there are definitely, um, what's the word? There are ropes being thrown at you. Uh, for instance, I created a character, uh, so FBI agents got troubles with his family, uh, single father, couple siblings. And the other day, I was 
listening to stuff, uh, I decided to make the character uh, queer, so he's uh, he's homosexual, and and he's kind of in the fast of various vein in terms of character. He is uh, the driver, the the more action man. Uh, but one thing I was thinking at, at what moment was, oh, it would be fun if he was actually fan of karaoke and especially doing karaoke songs of Disney. And so, oh, it's cool. Oh. There's the song, uh, uh, Let It Go, which I, I really like myself. And, uh, it's, uh, it's kind of, kind of a coming out song anthem. And I, I looked it up. And I said, oh no, 2016, actually when the session happened, it's not released yet. So what is released? Oh, Moana is released. And I just seen Moana. And I said, oh, wait, hang on a minute. Maybe not only my character is a fan of karaoke, uh, but it's a tradition of his family who's kind of, uh, recomposed but tight knit to go see Disney movies together. And I made up a, a little story of something happened with, before the start of the campaign when they went, the three of us, so uh, my character, his half-brother, his half-sister, and his father, they all went to see Moana, and the funny bit was that, uh, and I started picturing myself in the, at the movies with, with, as this character with his, par- his father and family, and then I realized that the main song kind of related to the character, because he joined the FBI... He wants to move away from the family. The family is tightly knit, so they don't see that from, they're not happy about that. So at some point, the idea was, he said, okay, let's do something fun this weekend. I'm going to be graduated, uh, in a couple of days. Uh, it's that my last weekend off. Let's all go see a, a Disney movie. They go see Moana, and in it, there's a song, uh, which is called, uh, Oh Far I'll Go, which is, I could imagine it would make actually the family very uncomfortable because it's all about yeah. I'm the daughter in the village. You want me to stay in the village and on the island and I want to go away and do, uh, do stuff. So I made this, this little story explaining how they went to the movies being like, okay, we're going to change our mind. And then they saw the movie and the mood was really cold getting out of the movie because they, they all found it kind of awkward sitting through that song and the rest of the movies uh, knowing what's what what was their own situation yeah. and yeah it's it's funny because you can see things in your daily life and, and start to go deep and say okay what's their hobby what do they do and so on yeah yeah I must admit I'd like it when I'm when I make up characters when I do get to, to play I love finding a hobby or something that they can do um, and it may not even be related to any hobbies that I personally at that point in time have, um, because there's always something that gives you a little um, insight into them, even before you, you know, because describing how someone physically looks doesn't create a character. It's the mental processes in the background, um, how, you know, even into how they treat the postman when he turns up at the door, you know, that, that I love doing. That's a good um, question. That's very cool. Yeah, it, it's just trying to find something that to hang the character's personality on, you know. And I always do struggle because after a while you do realise that sometimes you're starting to pick the same things. And I, I don't, I, I do play with people who do play the same variant of character every time, same personality. And that's fine. If you're happy doing that, go for it. But I like to change them around a bit. So I do like to play characters who can be upper class pompous, 
assholes, to be fair, sometimes. Um, but I also do like, you know, playing somebody who, you know, um, is in unfailably cheerful and will always find the best in, in people. And, you know, I've, I've played that character in Vampire before, which is amazing how much that can annoy everybody because you always look on the plus side to, yes, we're, we're five boons in here. Yeah, but it's fine because until they're resolved, you know, that type of cheerful character. So, and, you know, knowing that they've got a hobby that they like, either working a soup kitchen or writing poetry um, or even graffiti art, I think I picked once, which was a bit bizarre because I ended up um, researching Banksy a lot and I had this whole idea of him of uh, him wanting to uh, be bigger than Banksy, trying to sort of outdo Banksy in London um, and got arrested quite a lot. <laughs> Yeah, I did that with Star Trek also. Uh, I was not a player, I was a game master, but I picked hobbies and quirks for most of my non-playing characters. Uh, and and sometimes you pick stuff because they contrast. You know, on one hand there's uh, a contradiction to the character, but then you, you work out an explanation why they are, they are into that. Like, I had a a Vulcan, so so they were all cadets, and one cadet NPC, she was a Vulcan, but at some point she developed a an interest into one-hit wonders of uh, uh, late 20th and early 21st century uh, uh, so-called popular music. <laughs> so so each time the player would visit her, she would be she would be playing songs. Uh, yeah, which I had listened uh, about in, uh, in one of my favorite YouTube show, which is called uh, Todd in the Shadows, and he got this show called One It Wonderland, where where he explored those songs. And but it was like, oh, that's a logical Vulcan. Why would she listen to that? Well, actually, she's listening to it because she thinks that's a way tr- to understand human culture to go into this this weird notion of One It Wonder. Because what what does is what what is it fame? Uh, or can it be just one hit? Yeah. You know, if a, an artist is good, the artist is good. Uh, so she was studying the the modes of production, uh, rewarding the artists, and so on. I, I'm actually now imagining, you know, if aliens were to look at the at, the, at this planet, possibly not at this uh, period in time, but say last year, they'd kind of assume instead of um, instead of uh, the first world countries going to war they decide to battle it out every year with the eurovision song contest and that's how they decide their arguments <laughs> you can kind of see them looking at that with the commentaries um because um i always thought uh, terry wogan and graham norton were quite cutting in their commentaries about other countries songs but then i have heard the translations of others of other countries and they're just as cutting so i can just see that you know a Vulcan would be researching our history and assuming this is how we resolve things, you know. It's, it's, it's interesting, you know, on one hand, there's two aspects. Uh, I've missed a, a couple of the last time, but for, for random reason, uh, it's been several times I was visiting the family in Belgium when the Eurovision happened. And in Belgium, it's, yeah, I guess it's big in the UK, but yeah, in, in Belgium, it's, it's, it's very big too. And uh, I guess each page had the, the singer in the eighties, nineties, uh, different decades, which managed to win. But on one hand, you know, when they start giving out the points, there's definitely something oddly 
political yeah. about it, social political. You can see yeah. groups of countries. And so you got this aspect you look at and you're like, yeah, of course, this and this country, of course they would support each other. And then next to me, I got my mother who's very, very snarky and drops bone like, well, of course, Malta would give out points to, to this country. Oh, <laughs> and, and yeah. very, very, very upset about the, the whole deal. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, the last time I saw yeah. the UK were, if I was just when Brexit was voted, so the, the UK was really oh. not very popular that year. Well, the, the thing is, a lot of the other countries, they, they, they actually do proper voting ages ago, you know, in, and let the people decide. We don't kind of really do that. Um, and yeah, the English one is never good. Let's face it, the UK entry is usually quite diabolical. Um, but I, <laughs> You know, it's one of those sort of things, unfortunately. Um, I must admit, the, the tactical voting thing always makes me laugh. <laughs> yeah. But now, I, I, to be fair, I am now just still imagining a Vulcan listening to these sort of songs as, as a way of understanding humans. I don't know but, if they will be back for 2021, but oh, there was there's always a Scandinavian country which does something uh, slightly more interesting. And, and this year, there was... Uh, must have been Finland or Iceland. They, they, their video clip, uh, started to be popular on Twitter and, uh, yeah, they, they had a little something special, uh, yeah. to, to them going yeah. on. Yeah, I think because they tend to, I, I think because the way they, their public vote for it, um, they do tend to have a more interesting song. Um, to be fair, France isn't normally too bad. Uh, Germany can be very random. I'll be honest. German ones can be really good one year, and then the next year you're like, "What? What's this?" Um, the French commenters are among the worst, though. I mean, I can follow a couple countries since I play, I speak English, French, and a bit few other languages. The French commenters, they're so full of themselves. Uh, they, uh, I mean, the, the British one are, are are tough, but the French one. Yeah, I would punch them. <laughs> Men or women, no discrimination. I would punch the French commenters of the Eurovision. They're so obnoxious. But it's a it's a long tradition with sports. It's it's like that as yeah. well. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I always like actually something to say. I like the Eurovision for being able to go onto YouTube and seeing what um, other countries' uh, presentations of it were, because I love that whole. I've seen ours, but now I can go on YouTube and see every, what everyone else has seen and hear some of the commentary, which I love. And I, I think that's the great thing about Eurovision. Um, that, in fact, you can turn it into drinking contest. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's try to segue that back into gaming. Now, watch out! I'm gonna I'm gonna do a uh, a double salto here. Uh, so you could almost have a Neurovision of the roleplay heaven, can you? Because you got Wales, you've got Plymouth, you got different regions. So what's going yeah. on at the roleplay heaven? Are you doing a, a roleplay vision uh, of tabletop roleplaying online at the moment? Well, we've not got uh, not got everyone to vote for each other's favourite games yet. Although I'm now tempted to have the GMs post up like a two paragraph of how their game's going, and we could do the voting. Um, it's going okay. Um, obviously, with the closures of any venues, we've moved online. 
Uh, we're supporting our GMs by uh, we've increased the technical speak that I don't really kind of get, but we've increased our Discord channels so that people can use it for the speech part. We have got little dice bots rolling around, but I think most people are using us for the using um, our Discord groups. They have their own chat set up for their group for that game. They're using that for the verbal side, but then using things like Roll20, Astral, and a couple of the others to do the, the maps and the, the other bits. So it's been quite smoothish, actually, touch wood, because, you know, it's, it's online. It, it's a very different thing from opening a club and everyone seeing each other. Um, but the, the community's grown really well. Um, everyone's enjoying themselves. And as I say, a lot, for a lot of our gamers, some, for some of them, this is still one of the only games they've got running, which is great that they're turning up every week because we're still sticking to the club nights that they would do normally run. Uh, but I do know a few of the others are now, there are a few people into group meeting now to do some sort of inter-club meetings. And uh, there's a bit of a call to increase that as well, particularly as we don't know how long this is going to go on for yet. So, but no, it's, it's going well. I think everyone's enjoying themselves, um, which is, you know, happy members, uh, happy GMs and players. So, so yeah, we hopefully we might see you online because you were, saying this would be a bit easier for you, particularly with travel. Yeah, yeah, I should definitely come try to come join a, a game of the roleplay event. Uh, I need to... Yeah, I was busy lately because uh, I was editing the, the final part of that actual play I recorded back in October, and uh, there's been two Dragon Meat episodes in, in the middle, but uh, yeah, I released the first back in mid-November, so yeah, I was like, oof, yeah. so I'm, I'm finally done. This week I already have two games, but yeah, I could, I could definitely join because on one hand you're saying it's not the same as playing together at the club, but knowing the role play heaven, uh, I mean, you got so many branches, even across London and not speaking of Plymouth and I mean, let's do pick us Plymouth and Wales. It's actually quite difficult to sometimes, uh, sometimes people would stick to one branch. And then they, they don't even, I assume, show up as much to the, the Christmas party with one another. So here you get an opportunity to do stuff together, I assume. Yeah. I mean, here we do have that opportunity. People can do, um, stuff all together. They've also got the, um, advantage. To, to be fair, we do have within the London clubs, we do have people who do attend two or I think in one player's case, I do know one guy who turns up to three of them. Um, oh. Obviously, you've got more spare time than, than I do, which, but it is lovely if you can get in all your gaming. But here where we're online, as, as you've said, there is no travel now. Um, it does make it a little bit more easier for people. The nice thing is, is that everyone can, now everyone's using Discord more. There is the, the general chat and chat on RPGs, etc. So people can go online and chat to each other a lot more easier. And it is nice to, to meet up with some of the guys from Wales um, and Plymouth just to be able to say hi and sort of get involved in a chat on, you know, what's your favourite RPGs and stuff. Because, you know, we're all kind of stuck in our own houses and it is a bit isolated. And it is nice to meet people online whom you know are going to be nice people back to you and you can just have a chat without worrying about who you might meet online. Because, uh, you know, it's still one big club. Everyone... I mean, we're really lucky. Every single RP Haven are, are just generally lovely people. So it's so nice to be able to chat with new people all the time. 
Sorry. So, so do you think? Uh, I don't know to what extent you you curate the games at Roleplay Heaven, but do you think the the Roleplay Heaven would support encourage to continue have a online offer to the clubs in parallel to the to the clubs once uh, we go back to normal? Air quotes. Yeah. Um. I don't know. Um. I think if. Uh, if our members do want to still be able to use online, I think that it's here to stay. You, it, it's never going to go away. Once you start doing something and it, and do it well, it, it is here to stay. But I do think that there is going to be a stage where both are as important as each other. Um, I think the um, online clubs will continue, but I think once we can go back to our venues, I think they're going to be just as popular. Because what you don't kind of get with online is the same level of interaction with people as you do in the club. Um, in a club, you can walk past the table and see what people are doing and start a conversation later on with, oh, that looked really great, what was going on? You can't do that online very easily, to be honest. And so that's why they are different beasts. They really are. But they are ones that can work well to, with each other. Yeah, exactly. So that's, kind of, that's the thing which is often missing. I mean, I repeat myself on this show, but uh, people tend to oppose things rather than think that they are complementary and they can exist alongside one another and meet different needs and and so on. Yeah, I mean, I do think that they can work together, um, and I think that complementary nature of the of them does mean that it it's just going to help us grow a bit bigger, a bit faster. To be honest with you, also it's going to be nice for people who aren't yet members of RP Haven because they can just join the Discord groups um, to have a look, which is quite nice because sometimes it is a bit scary walking into a club. It Whereas is, online yeah. you can walk in. You know, online you can walk into the server, see what's going on, start to chat to people, and that would help break the ice. Um, we do have new members joining who are actually just joining up who are new online members as far as I can see. So it's, I think... I think both are here to stay. I'm not sure how big the online bit will be once we go back. But if I'm really honest with the way that the world is at this moment and how it's going on, I don't know when we're going to be back. It's not going to be a quick process either, I don't think. So yeah. It's going to be but iterative. Well, hmm? It's going to be iterative uh, in best case scenario. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We had on the show a few people who organized... Uh, I mean, there's two aspects. First, again, the roleplay avenue, you spread across, uh, the, the country, uh, and, uh, and second, we had a, a lot of people on the show uh, doing uh, virtual conventions. So I, I don't know if you were planning a, a physical retreat or something, but, uh, were there any plans of a have haven con, uh, with all your club branches doing something together, either physically or, or now virtually? Um, we were thinking of, of, of and starting to plan to do something, but obviously with all of this, that's kind of, uh, we're trying to, um, we're having means trying to figure out how to do a virtual type con, um, but that's a little bit off because there is a lot of logistics behind that. Um, and also we are still, we've just got to a stage now where the online part has run smoothly because to be fair, we've, I said, we did really well moving everyone online as soon as we had to. 
but there was a lot there is a lot of stuff behind the vaccine so between us free directors plus our committee members who have been absolute stars um we're getting there and hopefully we might be able to do something because um dirk from grogmeet uh he did his virtual grogmeet a little while ago um so that's something that we could hopefully look at trying to do something similar in the future but um that's a little way off at the moment, but it would be great to, because also it would be nice to do it as a fundraising for charity. Yeah. Um, yeah, the the, even the French convention I took part to, they, they did a, a bundle for people to purchase, and uh, I don't remember how much money, but they gathered quite a, a bit of money for, for a French charity, and uh, they, I mean, so far I did a couple, I, I, I played a game at Grogmeet, but uh, yeah, the, it's again, it's something which is, interesting and can be complementary to the Dragon Mead, the expo, especially when they sadly cancelled, like uh, it was announced this week. Yeah, I know. That was, that was that was very sad times when I saw UK Games Expo had to cancel. Um, I kind of knew it was going to happen when yeah, they moved to August. I mean, but you kind of were clinging on there because, you know, it's... I always meet everybody there and it's always such a great time uh, just to see what's going on be able to get a few games in with people you don't see often and yeah it was a little bit i did look at it and go no you can't cancel and i thought actually yeah i can see why you're doing it i can see why and it's fully understandable but there is that little part of you that just goes no (laughs) yeah i had a guest uh who previously said uh mentioned something about dragon meat she was uh assuming that it would be cancelled too and i was like no 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 <laughs> let's let's not rush to make conclusion dragon, yeah, dragon yeah, meat that's, is that's l- right at the end of the year so i mean, um, hopefully i mean i wouldn't take a bet but uh i will yeah i mean it would be very 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 sad and hard uh, in yeah. terms of the duration of the current crisis and uh, and just dragon meat, uh, I mean it's dear to me, it's dear to you. I think uh, if yeah. it, it could not take place uh, this year, so crossing I, fingers. Yeah, dragon meat was my first ever gaming convention I ever went to, so I just I really would love to go to that again this year. Yes, yeah, I had to yeah. miss last year because I was working, uh, so I was really looking forward to this year's one. Um, well, maybe it will be. Bigger, stronger, harder than uh, all the other years because we people will be uh, in dire need of uh, a gaming tabletop gaming convention uh, as Expo uh, will not have uh, happen. Uh, we got a question from Ichifi, and uh, I picked my book because I don't remember them. Uh, he was asking who, <laughs> what is our favorite Feng Shui archetype i don't know if you remember uh, well enough to tell oh um for feng shui um my favorite archetype will always be the scrappy kid nice do you play the i i do you play the scrappy kid so do you ever there's a scrappy kid also in star wars d6 but i never played uh it's, it's never proven very popular in star wars for some reason yeah, I can't imagine it quite in Star Wars, I'll be honest. Uh, the problem is with Star Wars, you immediately think of the young Anakin, and he was just annoying. <laughs> so, yeah. Well. Um, whereas with the scrappy kid within Feng Shui, I always think of the, the old um, the old sort of black and white films where you do have that little kid who, who you know, is just so awesome. 
Um, do, you, do you remember a go, uh, nice adventures you ran into as a scrappy kid uh, in Feng Shui? Oh, yeah. Um, I think my favorite one was probably the first time I ever played uh, the game. Um, and it was run... Um, it was run at the first ever grog meet. Um, they did on the Friday night. They did a inaugural sort of like a game before the um, the actual grog meet, and it was literally one table of just one table. Now it's like um, seven tables the night before. But um, first time playing Scrappy, the Scrappy Kid, and we Paul, and I think the GM thought we were going to do the. The going over the rooftops, very uh, ninja style. But the scrappy kid's gone, I've got a pocket full of fireworks. We've got a sword master. We can do a show as if we are a holy prank and just go walk straight through the front door. <laughs> the GM kind of gave me that look that said, right? <laughs> so we did. <laughs> um, and I still think, well, I think the best one was the fact my character then decided to go running in, skidded. I really, really failed at a point, skidded right in front of the bad guy. <laughs> sort of laying there, looking up at this bad guy, thinking I was going to die. And, and he did actually manage to survive that. <laughs> it was great fun. Um, really great fun. Because the rest of the party had to rush in after. <laughs> So you've got the you know the bad guys in this temple trying to to I think they were stealing something I can't quite remember what they were doing and they've all had to come running in so these poor guys all they know is suddenly there's a kid on the floor in front of them and the doors burst open <laughs> with our lot it was great fun yeah I personally only played Feng Shui once it was a dragon meet uh, closing day uh, the, the first year we did the podcast zone actually. Must have been twenty. Must have been twenty sixteen or something like that. But uh, yeah, I played the old master. But uh, oh, awesome! But when uh, when I played him, the way I, I sort of reskinned uh, the old master so that it was set in a theme park uh, after closure, and the way I introduced him is he was the janitor cleaning the park so awesome. so like so he was the old ma an old master of uh, kung fu but uh yeah he was not he didn't have a lot of money and had to pick little jobs and uh, when the action broke out uh yeah he could he threw he was wearing his overall and he threw his cap started fighting with his mop <laughs> and and did oh, awesome. did did one thing. I don't remember what. I think that it was a feat or something. If if he was doing something cool, uh, he would have bonuses. So what I did at some point was uh, activate the fire alarm and have the the sprinkler make it like it rained. I think I think it literally had yeah, something. Awesome. If it rained or something like that, and uh, yeah, I went around it by making the sprinkler. Rain, but describing it like very John Woo Hong Kong movie with the water falling and him in his oh, role with his yeah. bucket and fighting. Yeah, it was a robot, so it was funny to to have the mop very wet and then put it inside the robot and then turn it so the water would drip inside the robot and uh, mess with the, the electronics. Yeah, uh, that's what I just I just love. Uh, the Feng Shui system and the way it goes because it just allows that cinematic um, 
comedy to be fair some of it is comedy as well um i just love love the whole thing i've, I've never played it as a full-length uh campaign um and i do that there is time hop you can do time hopping in it yeah dimension um, hopping of some um, kind yeah yeah, I've, but I've never done that because we've always we've always played it more like the cinematic style kung fu movie type thing. Um, it would be interesting to see what it's like playing it the other way, but I'm not sure whether I'd want to now because I love that cinematic style of it. So one of the I'm not sure the scrappy kid time hopping is a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> One of the projects I've got in on the back burner uh, for for a long time. So we've got the side show called uh, the RPG Academy Film Studies, in which we watch a movie. Uh, we talk about the movie, but also what it can give us in terms of inspiration for games and what games would be the best to play. And the first movie we reviewed was. Uh, and the thing also we like when we pick a movie, I like to to make a, a nice little cover and had a subtitle. Which is tabletop RPG related, why related with a movie like for Delicatessen, it became Butchers and Feelings. Uh, mm-hmm. for, yeah, I don't remember the other one, but this one, so the first movie we ever covered was, uh, Brotherhood of the Wolf. Okay. Which is a French movie set in, uh, 18th century or late 17th century France, uh, but film Kung Fu style, uh, Hong Kong style, uh, by a French director who's fan of that. Uh, and there's a lot of and things which are not, uh, which are anachronical. But the alternate title we found for this one was Call of Kung Fu Tulu. And, and since then, I would really like to run a Call of Cthulhu adventure using the, the, the Cthulhu Britannica, uh, London description. But using mm. Feng Shui as a rule and having something revolving more about, uh, the Asian community in Limehouse and so on. But use the, yeah. rather than BRP, use the Feng Shui and have it slightly more cinematic. I don't know if Feng Shui deals at all with investigations. I'm not sure it would work. I, I have a feeling it's gonna end up a little bit like Scooby Doo. Yeah, yeah. I have a feeling. Um, but I, that's I guess, not a bad thing, necessarily. Best case scenario, uh, I'm picturing something in the vein of um, the Sherlock Holmes movie. Uh, you know, what's his name, the director? You know, with Robert Downey Jr., it's sort of... It's a yeah. timepiece, but at the same time, you've got those fight scenes which are yeah, very action-packed. Yeah. Oh, yeah I could, that would be good, actually. Um, it'd be interesting to see how the... The uh, the mental states go with the characters when they find things that are yeah odd. yeah that that would be um, that would be the thing of the the sanity rules unless I host rule them uh, or hack the two systems together <laughs> <laughs> so yeah you you uh, you uh, you play quite a few French tabletop role playing games uh, I was wondering. If I was to uh, borrow your talents to master a French game for the Rollist, uh, what what French game would you run? Uh, would you showcase? Would that be Shadows of Esteran or something else? Um, I would probably say Shadows of Esteran. Um, I think it, it's a wonderful game. It kind of gets overlooked a little bit because I think Simbrun, because Simbrun came out roughly the same time, I think. Did it? Okay. And I think. It, or the translation did. I think on Kickstarter they were quite close. And I think that Simran, which is also a brilliant game, kind of overshadowed it a little bit. And it's such a shame because it is 
it's a beautiful game. I mean, the books are stunning. And I just like the system of it as well. The world, um, the design of the world, um, particularly because you are characters who are traveling outside your village, um, which isn't normally something that's necessarily done. So there is that, that mythos behind it as well. And, and you don't quite know what's gone on. So I would probably say Shadows. Um, and because I don't think it gets as much love as it should do. Well, and it is such a brilliant thing. I think Shadows of Etheran would, would be great. Uh, it won't be right now because, uh, as I was saying, uh, I was I just finished an actual play. An actual play episode always so much work for me uh, by my own fault because I, I, I overproduce them. Uh, I don't know if people listening to them, uh, please go check out and let me know. <laughs> Find them overproduced, but in terms of workload, uh, I definitely overproduce them. But uh, the the Agat uh, Publishing uh, and Shadows of Western team, they yeah, we've been in touch with the Rollies to convention several times, and uh, they got also uh, their own music, which could be used, mm. so that, that would allow me not to have to search, and not only, but also have stuff which is uh, pinpointing uh, the mood, so yeah, I'll I keep that in mind, we'll, we'll make that happen uh, at some point. I mean, if you're keen, yeah. right, would you be keen? Yeah, I'd, I'd certainly more than happily um, do that. Um, it would be it'd be nice to showcase a game like that um, to show people what it's about as well. So yeah, no, more than happy to. And give me a break from doing my usual uh, vampire or wraith. <laughs> well, you, you can, you can, you know what? I, I'm gonna give you the because now I've got even a, a brief for game master, so I will send it to you. Uh, well, already uh, maybe uh, this coming week. So knowing that it won't take turn, but you you can already think of your one shot adventure. What what would be nice to fit a a podcast format? Uh, Ichifi was very proactive uh, in the, the chat room. Thank you very much. We got a lot of people in the chat room today. Uh, that's awesome to have you all. Uh, hello, Richard, who's back from uh, D Twenty Future Show. Is uh, asking when you are going to run a m- m- Mouse Guard campaign. Mouse guard. Um, I, I love. Uh, unfortunately, I do love mouse guard the the world. Um, I really don't like the system. Ouch. The system's a bit clunky. Um, because the the world's beautiful. Obviously, you're playing mice. Um, and it is very. If you've ever read the Red Wall books, it feels a lot like that in the world. The way the world's built. You know, there aren't so many sort of classes you can play, but it kind of feels like the type of world, and it's a lovely world to go adventuring in. But every single time we hit combat or had to to resolve something, the system just slowed it all the way down for me personally. Now, that could be I've only played it twice now, and it could be because I've only played it twice. Uh, I just find the, the resolution system... Just, just kills the mood. You get to a certain point, you're all hyped, and then it just, just deadens it. It's a pity. So I would, it is, and it is such a pity because I do love what they've done with the world and stuff, but I just don't like the system, which I think is based on Burning Wheel, I think. Okay. Oh, wow. That's interesting match. <laughs> yeah, I th- well, I think it's a watered-down version of it. I'm not... 100% certain because to be fair by the time I played it the second time I didn't really do any more research into the rule system, I just started thinking of ways to, to run it with uh, using the mouse guard world 
but switching it out. I actually think Mouse Guard World would work really well with the rule set for Tales of Squaria, the oh. Model Pony role playing game, because it's got that you can take a lot of it and sort of and put it into those kind of roles that um, Tales use. I think personally, that's the game um, I need to play with you, Tales of Equestria. It's a great game for adults and children as well, but um, it's one of those games whenever I've done it as a one-shot in club, I'm pretty much guaranteed I'll have a full table of people wanting to, to play it. Um, it. It's crazy fun. It really is. But and Which is why I think it worked well for Mouse Guard, um, because it is quite quick. It allows more role-playing, which Mouse Guard, it's just brilliant for that. Um so yeah, I'm probably going to have some very angry comments about how much somebody loves the rules from Mouse I mean, you know, tastes. Uh, it's funny because I've I've heard the uh, criticism of Shadows of Western as being kind of clunky, crunchy, uh, which is not a bad thing in itself. It's a question of taste and whether or not it it fits uh, the world. So yeah. yeah I, I think with Shadows, the combat is a little bit more crunchier than I would like, but the realism in it is there for a reason, because it is quite a dangerous world, and it does kind of work. But when you've got um, a turn resolution system in, like in Mouse Guard, when we played it with cards, and it slows it all the way down, but you're playing a little tiny mouse, you know, that shouldn't be so slow. You know, you're playing a little mouse with a weapon, you know, you're not a massive human in in armor or you know something that you've managed to get to protect yourself with. So, you know, it's horses for courses. I know that some people really love um, love the mouse guard system, and I do know that if there's one person listening to this that follows me on Twitter, I'm pretty sure I'm going to have a few comments when I get back online. Comments is great. You know what? It, uh you we are, that's something I, I'm not doing but I should do to have more advertisement and more comments from people I should seek the scandal because when you say something obnoxious suddenly everybody talks about you I don't know if you've seen the they made a table of make a team of Marvel characters and it was yeah. complete nonsense I mean two theories out there either it was complete nonsense done with the feet uh, mm. which is a French expression which I'm not sure works in English uh, because it was like, I don't know, for two dollars, oh yeah, for one dollars you had the vision, and uh, you had fifteen dollars, so yeah, you would take fifteen vision then, uh, and the Black Widow was five dollars, but either it was done with a complete disregard of the universe, or it was done, uh, especially to have people up in arms, because yeah. I heard of this thing everywhere, everywhere, and most people were negative, but rather than positive, promote something positively people are more likely to to rant about something it's it's a pity so yeah you know what most guard the system it's garbage <laughs> put it there put it there i said it canon from the race podcast says most guard it's a garbage system i haven't read it never read it but go out there and complain about it on twitter tell people to come check this video where i say most guard is a garbage system <laughs> I, I'm really, I don't, uh, to be fair, where I am at the moment, I'm actually at my mum's because of the, the lockdown. Um, I'm here to help with the shopping and bits and pieces. I'm so tempted to try and find my art equipment that's here. And there will be a little picture of, Cal- of Callum as a little mouse <laughs> ranting. <laughs> you know, 
I'm sure it would work that all the other stuff I do to promote my show, the people suddenly I will get noticed because yeah. you got hits. Anyway, yeah, you know, I played a, uh, I played a game. That's a system we could investigate. I, I keep recommending it, although I played it only once, and it's again another thing in the back burner. But there's a system called Fantasy Universal Role Playing System. So it's sort of generic, but uh, is that like that? So no, it's well, well, in the sense that it's supposed to be generic, but uh, it's. It's much lighter than girls, but it's still a bit tactical. But it's kind of a weird mix of what if uh, fate had a tactical side to it? Uh, Okay. And uh, yeah, it's a bit difficult to. But it's a system I would really like to play more and master it more. Uh, It's just I'm a dilettante and um, I keep moving between projects, but. Uh, yeah, it's very straightforward, and at the same time, there's a logic to it of, uh, characters, and first of all, you play with cards in front of you, so you, when you create a new mm-hmm. thing or a new situation, you write it on a card, uh, like an obstacle, uh, can be a thing, and they, they accumulate drama, so, so it's very descriptive, because you, one of your actions can be, okay, I'm gonna do that thing to the, to the, the thing there, and it could be as simple as, I just brush my hair and have it float in the wind, or you start describing something more uh, technical you're doing, but the result in both cases might be that you build up drama, so you get one drama die, and for each drama oh, okay. die you win, this drama die you're going to use it for future roles, but not like a, as a one-off, as an ongoing thing, and reducing a, an obstacle or an opponent or losing your drama die oh, okay. is the action of someone or you on that. So the, the way they represent it is like you would see in movies, there's kind of a build up. So if it's the more subtle thing, if it's kind of a gumshoe hardboiled situation, mm. the, the books, I don't find it sell itself very well because the books itself is very medieval fantasy, although the system's got the potential to do, to do more. But if it was a hardboard gumshoe, it would be your, or let's say a diehard thing. You, you start, you got zero drama, you just John McLean walking in the street, then, uh, you use your jacket, you're in the white singlet, so you got two drama points and so on, and towards the end, you, you got scratches and so oh, okay. on. But, really into the action but you you worn out by it and you got visible signs of you being worn out so th- that's kind of the more subtle if you were less subtle uh, I think it's a system which would work very well for Japanimation because it would be your Dragon Ball like uh, okay zero drama uh, Sangoku is having a drink uh, he's eating his noodles and uh, one drama is uh, the stance and when you're five drama you, you've gone full super cyan with your hair yellow uh, and so on so and yeah but yeah okay, that sounds quite interesting because uh, it allows it allows everything your character does to build up so, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's very free flowing and yet at the same time there's the tactical decision of am I trying to hurt that creature mm. or am I trying to reduce their drama and the way it's interesting is that one way you can lose drama is so you, you got you create condition which becomes cards. Uh, so, uh, for instance, going back to John McLean, uh, 
Okay, John McLean, what do you do? Okay, my action is gonna be, I'm just gonna strafe with my, uh, my, my, or oh, the villain's gonna do that. He's gonna, they're gonna strafe and break the, the windows and you got glass everywhere. And then, uh, if the player playing John McLean says, okay, I stand up and I run towards the room, the game master is like, oh, wait a second. You forgot. Uh, you got two conditions on the table. You have no shoes and there's glass on the ground. So you lose drama because you, you, you hurt your feet doing that. Uh, but if the character instead had said, okay, I stand up and walking carefully or jumping on the, the desks to avoid the glass, I go to the other end of the room, the player would not lose the drama. So as an architect, okay. What I find very interesting is that you introduce elements in the environment or in the story uh, in which the players are encouraged to include in their description of actions. So they they they, they got a very active role in it. I mean, people should go listen to the. I'm I'm just self-promoting, but <laughs> there's a RPG Academy. There's a RPG Academy trial of Fantagy actual play in which we played a. Um, we call that uh Furry Road because it was like Mac Max Fury Road, but mm. I was a uh opossum uh, no opossum? No, I was an armadillo. I was a communist armadillo. We had a uh tinkering coyote and yeah, we, we were all animals like that and uh, we, we fought other animal gerbils and snakes but with a turtle shape tank and so on so yeah you, we could make up anything we wanted really and it, it worked it worked quite well yeah okay that sounds quite a nice um, catch-all system if you're not sure what you want to play you can just start designing a character and then make then decide what what campaign you want really yeah i, w- I wasn't so keen on it at first but uh uh yeah when so this session was paid by the the designer of the game and he was the game master and when we started chatting before the recording uh I'm going to post it in the chat the he started asking okay we can play in whatever world you want and I as a player I actually find it uh I'm kind of lost if you give me too much liberty and so yeah. I had to wait for the other players to start coming up Oh wait a minute! We could play anthropomorphic animals, a bit of uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Someone came up with the pun, probably at some point, uh, Mad Max Furry Road, and and from that we yeah. things evolved. And uh, yeah, it was a starting in the desert and then ending up in a a forest community being attacked, like in uh, like in the second Mad Max. Anyway, uh, anything else to plug? Um, and where can people find you and what are your goodbyes sorry I'm cutting short because I need to wake up my son from his daily nap that's the ongoing subject of uh, Cafe Rollist which is recorded as my son takes his nap (laughs) fair enough Um, well I'm on Twitter um, as Mir for Beer if not I am on most of the RP Haven um, social media alternatively find our Discord group um, which is there is a link to it on our Facebook page um, and also on our website at this point in time. But please, you know, if you're a role player out there and you'd like to reach out and start playing again or even just reaching out to talk to anyone in the gaming community, come join our Discord server. We're all friendly. We don't buy it. Um, it would be nice to see you. 
I will include the links in the description of the episode, whether you're watching this on YouTube or uh, in audio uh, via our Patreon, uh, or maybe soon I'm going to release that content in our regular feed. I mean, I should not discourage people to go on Patreon, but uh, I ran a little uh, poll there asking uh, uh, roadists supporting the show via Patreon if they would mind that I put some of that content uh, in the regular feed. And uh, yeah, six people uh, seems to be keen on that. So six out of 23. So I guess it's okay. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah uh, our next guest uh, this Friday for once I know it in advance, it should be Grant Owit. So that should be interesting. Uh, thank you so much, Kat, for joining. Uh, do everyone go check the roleplay event. And uh, see you. Bye. Our logo is designed by Rolling Kunz. Our theme song is Playtime by Jazar, which you can download on the free music archive. A video version of this episode is available on YouTube. Please consider subscribing to our channel there. Leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform. If you would like more Café Rollist, you can also get access to our archive of 100 or so additional episodes via Patreon. If you want to be informed of everything released by the Rollist, we have a monthly newsletter for you to join. And if you want to contribute via the chat room to one of our recordings, subscribe to our Twitch channel and social media accounts to be informed of when streams are happening. Finally, links to everything I just mentioned can be found in the description of this episode. Thanks for listening to us and remember, you are the Rollist. <laughs>